Today's reading is um, from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 to 45, and you can find this on page 1026 in the Pew Bible. So that's Luke 1, 39 to 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that she Lord, that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Wonderful stuff. Well, let me uh, pray as I begin, as we think about uh, God's word and what he has to teach each one of us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. Thank you for these amazing stories we've heard today of your faithfulness uh, to people in all sorts of different circumstances, um, different backgrounds, different ages, different experiences, but one God. And we praise you that uh, you are the God who speaks. So please, would you speak to us now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to look at that passage that we uh, that Jane read to us just earlier on from Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 39. Small little passage um, helps us as we prepare ourselves for Christmas, uh, which is only nine sleeps away. So uh, <laughs> there was some, yay, and there was some, oh, which is great because that fits perfectly into my sermon. So wonderful. So uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 39, page 26. Do keep that open as we look at that this morning. Uh, and actually, think about Christmas. I wonder how many of you, perhaps about 50-50, are looking forward to Christmas Day. How many of you are looking forward to Christmas? Perhaps you're thinking, yes, it's nearly Christmas. Can't wait. Maybe it's maybe it's the presents you're going to be opening. Maybe it's all the chocolate. I've already had my fair share of that. People have been very generous, as you can tell. And uh, maybe it's spending time with family. You're looking forward to that. Um, but actually, as Christians, we have something really special to look forward to, don't we? Rejoicing together at Christmas. Rejoicing because God sent his son into the world to be our king and to rescue us. And that's what we're going to think about this morning Rejoicing together at Christmas. But perhaps you're not looking forward to it. Perhaps you're not looking forward to Christmas. Perhaps it's because this year there's going to be a different Christmas to the one that you were expecting. Maybe uh, you're not going to be with those friends or, or family members that you thought you might be with. Maybe it's because someone isn't here anymore for one reason or another. For a lot of people it's going to be a very hard Christmas. Maybe there's been a whole string of hard Christmases for you. And we probably all find ourselves somewhere on that spectrum between maybe anxiety about Christmas and maybe we just can't wait. But wherever we are at, God gives us really good reasons for why we can look forward to rejoicing together at Christmas. And we're going to think about what this passage has to teach us about that this morning. We're going to ask three questions as we think about rejoicing together at Christmas. Uh, what do we need to do? What should we expect? And how does it change us? What do we need to do? What should we expect? How does it change us? So first off then, what do we need to do? 
Well, this passage tells us that if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, or perhaps you think you're somewhere on that journey towards believing, what we need to do is to meet together. We meet. Christians need to meet together out of a desire to share what God has done. It's great hearing those testimonies earlier, to hear about what God has done in their lives. And it's important that we remember this, because I think there's two pressures that we might feel pulling on us, depending on where we were born and and, and kind of people we, we spend time with, because there are these two mistakes that we tend to make about why we meet together. Perhaps in more traditional cultures, we, we meet together out of a sense of community. If everyone is going to church, then, then we think, well, we'd better be part of that. It's easier to opt in with what people are doing. And, and in many cultures in the world, that, that is perhaps even in this country, that is still the case. We meet together out of a sense of, of community, social gathering. It's, it's a good thing. And actually, when I've spoken to non-Christians who have maybe come into church or, or an event that we're running, often they'll, they'll comment on the, this great sense of community that seems to be here, which is wonderful. We, we want all of that. But... It's not just that, is it? That is vastly selling the church short just to say it's, it's a good community. It's a bit like a, a really nice club or, or a, a social gathering. You see, the church is actually a deeply supernatural community because of the heart of it is a relationship with a God who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural community. So that's one mistake we might fall into. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and traditional cultures thinking it's all about community. But there's another mistake we can make as well. Um, and we see this more in modern cultures. And this is this idea of it being more about the individual and seeing it from an individualistic point of view. For example, you might be someone who thinks, well, I come to church, but on my terms. <clears throat> Only if it suits me, if I want to, and perhaps when I want to. <coughs> Excuse me. But in this this passage here, we see both of those views challenged. It's not just about community in a sense that we ought to. And it's not just about the individualistic and I will do what I want to do. In this incredible meeting with these two women meeting together, we see more than just shallow community, which is just a club. And we see something greater than individualistic needs. And God is at the very heart of it. God is the one at work here. Please don't miss that. That's the introduction. Let's have a look at the passage. Verse 39 and 40. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So what has happened before this? Well, last week we were seeing about how the angel Gabriel came with this incredible message to Mary to tell her that she was going to give birth to a child, which is a supernatural thing because she is a virgin at this point. But not any child. This child will be the son of God. You're going to have a baby and call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. An incredible encounter. And just in case you're wondering, this angel isn't some kind of, you know, you might see the nativity place this time of year, a cute little angel with like the white wings and a little halo, that kind of thing. Anytime we hear about angels in the Bible, people are terrified. They fall down on their face and they can't bear to look at them. These beings who stand in the presence of God in heaven and this angel who came with a message. Angels are messengers. This message that she was going to give birth to a son 
who would be the son of God and to call him Jesus. But just before that, we've heard another incredible thing happen. Because Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, who is a lot older, that her baby will be miraculous for a different reason because of her age. But she was told by the same angel that you're going to have a baby who will prepare the way for Jesus, for Mary's baby. So these two are about to meet. And in verse 36, the angel told Mary that Elizabeth, your cousin, will have a child. So Mary has got all this information going round in her head. What shall I do? Who can I go to? Who has experienced something like I have? Who understands what I am going through? At least, is there anyone with some connection? And the angel says, yes, Elizabeth, your cousin. So Mary travels all the way from Nazareth, just up in the north of Israel, all the way down just outside of Jerusalem, just under 100 miles or so, for this amazing meeting. But it's not just the two of them there, is it? Elizabeth is carrying her baby, who will be John the Baptist. He's about six or seven months old, probably at that time. And Mary is carrying in this tiny, microscopic, embryonic stage, the Son of God in her womb. But we're told as well that God, by his Holy Spirit, is also there. Mary wants to go to someone who has experienced something amazing, just like her. And actually, this is a powerful motivation for meeting as we think about why we meet together at Christmas and what we need to do. This idea of thinking, I need to be around others who know this God's work as well in in their life to help me to understand, to make sense of what is going on. Someone who can help me in my confusion, help me get perspective when, when I can't go at it alone. This is a good desire to have. To share with others what what God is doing, to to ask for help. I wonder, what if this story had been different? What if Mary had tried to go it alone? If she tried to be all 21st century and individualistic. It's just me and God. I'll I'll try and carry this burden on my own and and, and I don't need anyone else. I can just, just me and God, just me and God. Well, actually, that wouldn't have been a good outcome at all, would it? And it's certainly not something we should be doing in the church. Pulling right into the Galatians says that we are to carry one another's burdens. But God is providing something bigger for Mary so she doesn't have to do it on her own, even just with one other person. And God's provision of Mary was uh, was incredible. Even at the cross when Jesus was was dying and Mary, his mother, was looking on, Even from the cross, he tells John, one of his disciples, to take care of her and to treat her as his own mother. Even dying on the cross, God is providing for his people. I wonder, perhaps, are you trying to go it alone this Christmas? Perhaps that's that's you. You're not here out of a sense of of uh, of community. Perhaps, perhaps you are, but maybe you're trying to go it alone. That's probably more of a pressure for us, I think, in 2018. It's it's a bit like this. It's a bit like driving a car, trying to go on it on our own. It's like driving a car without ever going to a petrol station. You may have a a full tank to start with, but then all of a sudden you notice the needle drop down to red, and then you start chugging along, and then all of a sudden it splutters and stops. You think, oh, I don't need the petrol station. I don't need to be refilled. I don't need the fuel to keep on going. I can do it on my own. Who needs petrol? The truth is we can't do it on our own. I know I can't do it on my own. I need you. I need my church family to help me, to support me, to pray for me as I do that for you as well. 
Now, of course, for many of us, there are going to be obstacles that, that make that hard, but it is worth it. Perhaps those are obstacles in the past. Perhaps it was experience of church growing up. Perhaps we had a really hard time. Or perhaps we've been let down by Christians. But there's still no reason to go at it alone this Christmas, or, or indeed forever. We need to commit to meet together, not just when things are going well, but in the tough times too. And there's been great examples of that in this church family that I've seen. We need to commit to meet together, even at Christmas. Actually, it's even in the, it's normally in the hard times that you find even deeper things to rejoice about. Because you see the things that can't be taken away and you end up rejoicing in those. For example, our relationship with God through Jesus. So what do we need to do? We need to meet. Christians need to meet out of a desire to share what God has done. But what should we expect when we meet together? Well, we should expect to see the work of God in one another's lives. We see. We should see the work of God in one another's lives. But just going back to that last bit, we can't see if we don't meet together. So we have to get that bit right first. Otherwise, we're not going to see what God is doing in each other's lives. This passage tells us that God is always at work in his people. Have a look at verse 41 and 42. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Now, this isn't Mary just sneaking up on Elizabeth, okay, and making her jump, you know. Where's Elizabeth? There we are. Boo! Oh, don't creep up on me like that. That's not why she's jumping. This is both Elizabeth and, get this, John the Baptist as this unborn baby. He can't even talk. He can't even see with his eyes. And both of them are responding to what God is doing. I think it's just amazing that we see this here. I think we give ourselves too much credit sometimes for our ability to believe or to have faith because it's all clearly a work of God and a gift from God that anyone can respond to what God is doing because on our own we just wouldn't. Eyes closed, we'd look the other way. It's God helping us to see what he is doing in people's lives. And actually whoever we are, we can respond to what God is doing. Even an unborn baby can respond to God. We don't need to have done a a degree in theology or a PhD to see what God is doing because it's God who helps us to see. Well, Elizabeth sees God's work and she responds with humility as she is seeing. Have a look at verse 43. She says, but why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So somehow, through the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth understands that Mary is carrying the Son of God, her Lord, around in her womb. Because of God, she can somehow see what others would have missed. If, if, if Mary is in the first few weeks or maybe a couple of months of her pregnancy, because it tells us in verse 39, she got ready and hurried away, so she hasn't been waiting around for ages, she's done it straight away. Most people wouldn't even been able to tell that Mary was pregnant. But Elizabeth knew. And on top of that, she even knows who she is carrying. This is all the work of God opening Elizabeth's eyes to what he is doing. That this child will be born, Elizabeth's saviour, 
Mary's saviour, our saviour. It's because she's been shown by God. That's what she sees. I wonder what you expect to see when you come to church at Christmas time. Perhaps you expect to see the Christmas tree looking all beautiful up there at the front. Perhaps you expect to see uh, decorations. Perhaps you expect to see candles. There will certainly be plenty of those at our um, Carols by Candlelight service next Sunday evening. Perhaps you expect to see mince pies or a little crib scene. Or perhaps you expect to see some outrageous Christmas jumpers. Uh, actually, there's not as many today. Which is slide. Please don't disappoint me on Christmas Day. Bring all your uh, best Christmas jumpers. That would be great. It's wonderful. There are all sorts of things we expect to see at Christmas time at church, isn't there? But actually, what does the Bible tell us we should really expect to see when we gather together? We should expect to see examples of God at work in one another's lives. Perhaps very profound ways or perhaps just in the ability to keep on going, perhaps seemingly smaller ways. But all of them, lives changed by the grace of Jesus. People saved from hell. People who love their saviour and keep on going in hard times. People fighting temptation and turning away from sin. People being incredibly generous. Great to hear the generosity for the presence for, for Millview Hospital. They'll be so grateful for those, I'm sure. People being generous. People practicing hospitality that costs them. People practicing forgiveness against people who have treated them really badly. People showing sacrificial love to people who don't deserve it. But each one of us, people with a story to tell, that's what we should expect to see when we gather together to worship God. Let me ask you, what are you seeing today? Do you see that? Well, if not, maybe it's because you, you, you haven't committed to meeting together with God's people. Maybe that's what God is prompting you to do today. Or maybe it's just you're struggling to see any of it. If that's the case, why not ask God to open your eyes to what he is doing in other people's lives? And maybe ask him as well to open your eyes to what he wants to do in your life. So wonderful to hear those testimonies from from different backgrounds, different life experiences this morning as part of the baptism and, and from Jenny as well. So what should we expect when we meet together? Well, when we gather together at Christmas and, of course, at other times, we should expect to see the work of God in one another. Well, thirdly, then, how does it change us? How does it change us when we meet together, when we see what God is doing in one another's lives? Well, it changes us into people of praise. We praise. This means it's not just individualistic. It's not coming to church. This isn't just what I get out of it and, and, and I'll go if I want to. But neither is it just this shallow community. It is being part of something incredible where each one of us has our own song of praise to sing because of what God has done in our lives. And, it's, and, and great to hear, as David was praying for Jenny as well, thinking about what they've seen in their small group as well. Great opportunity to see what God is doing in each other's lives. It's hard, isn't it, with so many people at church, but maybe in smaller groups or, or meeting together with other Christian friends, we can see that as well. And it helps us, we sing, that's one way as we praise God, isn't it? We meet together, we sing songs, whether they're new songs or whether they're old hymns. And my experience has been that, that, particularly looking back at some of those older hymns as well that we sometimes sing, 
is that they are just so full of these experiences that we can weave our own story into. It almost becomes like this, this tapestry of praise that we connect with people's experiences and God's faithfulness in, in previous generations and, and make those our own as well. Well, look how Elizabeth praises as well. She sees many things to give thanks to God for, verse 44 and 45. She says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So the Holy Spirit is speaking through Elizabeth, who is able to to tell why the baby leaped. It wasn't just because, you know, it was having a bit of a jiggle around. The baby leaped for joy. I love this. This baby who, who can't do anything for itself is able to respond with joy and praise and leap. Elizabeth commends Mary's faith. She says, you believe God's promise to you. And what an amazing promise it was. We can look around today and see others holding on to God and believing him. And that should cause us to praise as well. Thank God for them keeping on going with Jesus even in hard times. You see, rejoicing together at Christmas changes us into people who leap for joy. I wonder when was the last time you felt like leaping for joy? Well, what I thought I'd do now is we're all going to stand up and we'll go for a nice leap all together. Okay, let's not do that. You can do afterwards if you want to. Come up to me and leap. That would be great. But seriously, though, we want to give praise to God. We want to give praise to God. We want to leap in our heart, don't we? We want to see God's work in other people's lives and leap in our hearts out of thankfulness to him. We praise God with song. We, we praise God in our hearts. We praise God with our words. And we also choose how to respond in those situations as well. So often we listen to our emotions instead of speaking to them. We choose to praise God even when we don't want to. And even when it's hard because we are committed to meeting together, to seeing what God has done. And because God is changing us into a people of praise. Because that's who we are becoming. A people who praise him. We praise him because we see in each other how God is fulfilling his promise to make a people for himself who are saved by the work of Jesus on the cross and who believe in him. That is his promise to the world. We're rejoicing together at Christmas, which means it changes us into a people of praise. So let's just wrap up then. Well, Rejoicing together at Christmas. What do we do? Well, we meet together because we want to share what God has done in our lives and share in each other's joy too. What should we expect? Well, we should expect to see the work of God in one another, perhaps in very grand ways, perhaps in just small ways, keeping on going when it's hard. We should expect to see the work of God in one another as he opens our eyes. And finally, how does it change us? Well, it changes us into a people of praise who can experience joy whatever the world throws at us this Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you that we can meet together and there'll be, I imagine, lots of people coming along to services. Pray that you would help us to keep on meeting together. Yes, over Christmas, but uh, for the future as well until, Lord Jesus, you return. 
And Lord, we we thank you that we can meet together in in safety. We thank you as well that when we meet together, we can see examples, as we've seen this morning, of you working in people's lives. And Lord, as we see that, help us to be humble and help us to praise you because of what you are doing. We ask this in and through Jesus' name. Amen.